Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to begin our time here this morning with a question. It's a two-part question. You can just answer in the privacy of your own heart. First part of the question is pretty easy. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And I imagine in this context here, there are many, if not most, perhaps all would say, yeah, of course I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. But the second part of the question, a little more introspective, a little more challenging. How do you love Jesus? What does that look like? How does it demonstrate it? Do you demonstrate that in any way? What is your love language to the Savior? And if I had to guess what some of the the replies might be that you are thinking in your mind right now, might be, well, I spend time with him. I have quality time with the Lord. I have quiet time, which is a very popular phrase in modern-day evangelicalism. Spend time uh, in prayer independently, come together like this. Maybe you say, well, this right here, my, this is pretty much it. You know, I'm, I'm here, aren't I? This is me loving Jesus by gathering together with the saints on the Lord's day to worship him. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, how about along the same lines, maybe uh, your love for Jesus is shown through words of, of uh, affirmation. This is how you express yourself to the Lord. Maybe it's through song, like we just did. You sing to Jesus. You sing praises to his name. And that's how you love Jesus. Maybe for some, it's service. I serve the Lord, and I serve others. I'm always doing things for God, and that's, that's how I love him. That's my love language to Jesus. Perhaps it's tithing. You, you've been given the gift of generosity, and you're, you're very generous, and you give, and that's how you love him. Maybe it's reading the Bible. I, I want to hear from him. I want to hear what he has to say to me, so I open his word, and I, I take up and read, and that is my way to love him. Perhaps none of those were the answer you had. Maybe you say, you know, Mike, I don't know. It's just something I feel inside. It's kind of a a warm, fuzzy feeling on my insides, kind of a tingly sensation. Hard to put a, put a, you know, a word to it. Okay. I think some of those answers are better than others, but do any of them really hit the mark? Think of the, the game of golf, right? I think some of those answers, they're on the fringe. Some might be in the bunker, but some are definitely on the green. You're right there. But do any of them drop right in the hole? Well, here's the question. Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Let's let Jesus weigh in on his love language. Right? Has he spoken on this matter? He has. And Jesus is very succinct. He doesn't make a habit of wasting words. Right? He, he steps up to the T grabs the driver out of the bag, steps up, takes a swing, and the ball sails through the air straight into the cup. From the tee to the cup, hole in one. That's our Savior. 
Let's hear what he has to say. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. If you're able, I ask you please stand as we're going to hear from Jesus himself. Gospel of John, we'll have it up on the screen. There it is. Just going to look at verse 15 right now. We'll look at some of the supporting verses as we go. Word of God says this, Jesus speaking, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Thank you. You may have a seat. It's the word of God. Short and sweet. So where exactly are we in the Gospel of John? We've just swooped in, jumped down right there into John 14. What's going on? Well, this is a unique section of Scripture, unique to John. This is, this is known as the Upper Room Discourse. It covers a number of chapters. Jesus is not long for this earth. He's soon going to be arrested and crucified. And so he has this time with his disciples, and these are his parting words. These are his last words to them. And what we see in this section here, really that covers a couple chapters, promise after promise after promise. And Jesus said in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, the promises that were given before that verse and after that verse apply to those who love him. And according to Jesus, what characterizes those who love Jesus? It's obedience. It's obedience. That's what Jesus would say is his love language. Now, lest we think that this is a, a one-time comment, just kind of an off-the-cuff comment that Jesus makes that we could somehow marginalize or dismiss and say, well, you know, he just said it that one time, which how many times does he have to say it for it to be important is what I would add, but that's not all he said. He goes on from there. If we think this is just a one-time thing that came from the mouth of Jesus or that's recorded in Scripture, we would be dead wrong. So let me, let me bury that notion under an avalanche of Scripture. We don't even have to leave the upper room. He goes on after verse 15. In verse 21, Jesus says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Two verses later, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he states it again in the next verse, this time in the negative. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's run over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a very convicting verse. Let's go back to John, but we're going to go to 1 John. John is big on this theme here. 1 John chapter 2. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Next chapter, chapter 3 in 1 John. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Last one, chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. Here it is, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You cannot get around this connection between love and obedience. It's replete throughout Scripture. A very much a dominant theme in our Bibles. So let's go back to John, verse 15, our verse here today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you catch the order there? Love produces obedience. Not the other way around. Obedience does not produce love. we got to keep these straight, right? Keep them in the proper order. We don't obey God so that he will love us. No, he already loves us. Therefore, we obey him. Again, Scripture. Let me give you some supporting texts. Ephesians 1. It's in love he predestined us. For adoption. Romans 5, for God shows his love for us when? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Think about a, a tree, right? What comes first? The, the root or the fruit? Well, it's, of course, it's the root. You don't have fruit without a root. The root must precede the fruit. Right? And so our love is the root. Our love for Jesus is the root. The fruit is our obedience. We can't get it twisted or backwards. Now, this, this interplay that we're going to look at here today between love and obedience and how they relate to one another, it may challenge some of your preconceived notions. And if you get challenged here today... I want you to know, I'm okay with that. I am. If, if it's the Word of God that challenges you, praise the Lord. Because when I read the Word, I get challenged. And I think Jesus has a challenging Word for us today. But it might, not, it, it might just not challenge you. It might get you to actually question some things. And you might ask the question, am I saved? Does everybody obey perfectly? Well, so we don't obey perfectly. I guess I don't love Jesus. You, you could be making that connection in your mind right now. And you start to ask yourself some hard questions. And I want you to know I'm completely okay with you asking yourself some hard questions. You know, sometimes, you know, we get shook. And, and you know what? That might be the best thing for us. We needed to get shook. Listen, False conversions in America are abundant. 
And, and living water is no different. I don't think you can get a gathering like this and people watching from, from at home and not have false converts in our midst. I don't know who you are. I'm not going to start singling people out, right? But you're here. The best thing that, you, that could happen to you is you would realize that. That's the very best thing possible. So I'm completely okay with an email that says, Mike, I got shook on Sunday. Praise God, let's talk about it, right? Let's, I'm willing, I'm not trying to sound callous or uncaring in any way. Because I, I think I said it, you know, last time I was up here, and I'll say it again today. If anybody wants to talk after the service because you're like, I don't know that I'm saved. I love, that's, a, that's an okay question. The Bible says examine yourself. I'll help you through that. We'll pray together. I'm invested in this. Okay, this, this, is, this is okay to have some of these thoughts as we examine a challenging passage like the one that's before us today. Some, some Sundays, I'm here till 2 or 3 o'clock. The room is empty. The building is empty. And I'm over here talking with somebody, and I love it. I love it. So I'm, I, I, for what it's worth, I'm here. Pastor Ben's here. We'd love to talk to you if this is something that, that is that is rising up within you as we make our way through this text here. Let me give you a quote from a book. It's called The Gospel According to Jesus. The guy who wrote it is a, a man that Pastor Mike quoted last weekend here. His name is John MacArthur. Let me read this to you. He writes, Unlike preachers today who go to excessive lengths to avoid upsetting anyone's assurance, our Lord was determined to destroy the false hope of all who falsely thought they were redeemed. The pattern of modern evangelism today is to give people a pleasing and easy message, take them through a simple formula, then get them to say a prayer or sign a card. Jesus challenged people. And if that's true of Christ, and I preach Christ, then I'm not doing my job if he preaches something that's challenging, and I soften it, back off of it, or bury it. I need to put it out there for you. That's, that, that, that's preaching the Bible. That's preaching Christ. So I'm okay if some apple carts get upset here today. I really am. But we ought not pit love against obedience. Love and law, uh, we, we keep them separate like they're mutually exclusive. They're not. They're not mutually exclusive. God's law emanates or it extends from his love. It, it finds its root in his love. That's why the law is there. Think about the Ten Commandments, right? We'll go right to the Decalogue, right? Basic morality, do not murder, right? If you murder someone, you're not really loving them, are you? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, I want to get, let me get a baseline where we're all at here today. It's not very loving to someone to murder them. Stealing. You have something that I want. I can, I'm stronger than you. I can take it from you. Yoink, it's mine. You go without. Am I loving that person? No. Right? One of the reasons God establishes law is he loves us and he wants us to love others. So he gave us the law. And love itself is a command of the law. They came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, hey, what is the, which one is the greatest commandment? Which one's most important? 
You know this. Mark 12. Here's Jesus' response. What does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is a command to love. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We love one another by obeying God's commandments. Now, my guess here is that perhaps some of you have a a word that's going through your mind right now. It just popped up in your mind. I'm not a mind reader. I'm no mentalist like, uh, what's that guy's, Oz Perlman. That guy, he freaks me out. I cannot figure that guy out for the life of me. But let me just take a guess that in your mind, the word legalism just popped up. Mike, this, this sounds like legalism. Are you a legalist? What is legalism? Legalism is doing things, performing works, uh, you know, keeping the law so that God will be pleased with you, so that you can earn his favor, so that you can go to heaven if you just do enough good works. Bible doesn't teach that, and I'm not teaching that either. See, obedience to law is not how we get saved, and I would say it's not even how we stay saved. Sometimes we think, that's how I get in, by grace through faith in Christ. Now i got to work to maintain it. No. I think Galatians speaks about that. No, absolutely not. Salvation from beginning to end is of the Lord. Jonah 2.9. We know Ephesians 2.8 and 9, right? Let me give you Titus 3. Titus 3, I love this passage here. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. How? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. God saves us by grace, through faith, not of our own works. Not that we can boast about. We have nothing to boast about. It's purely his grace and his mercy. That's how we get saved. Yet, The one who is saved, the one who is truly saved, they will obey. They will obey. Not perfectly. We we, we know that, right? Of course. Let me just state the obvious. No one does this perfectly. No one. We don't even have to, to go outside of the pages of Scripture to see this. Right in our Bibles. One is part of Jesus' inner circle. One of his closest disciples, Peter, right? Walking with Jesus, spending all this time with Jesus. Yet in in this tremendous time of trial that Jesus is going through, Peter does what? He denies Christ. He denies him three times. So then post-resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter. He restores Peter, but how did he do it? He asked him a question. Do you remember the question he asked? Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And three times the reply came back, yes, yes, yes. So then what does Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, Peter, as you say you do, obey me. And here's my command. Do what I called you to do. Feed my sheep. Jesus is not looking for a mere 
heartfelt, yes, I love you, Lord. Okay, that's, no, that's not what Jesus was, was looking for. Not a mere affirmation of I love you. They, they didn't hug it out. You know, Jesus isn't looking for Peter to go all emo and start tears flying and everything. No, no. He didn't ask him to express some sort of, you know, sappy, soupy, sentimental sort of love or some kind of expression of love, some display that may or not be true, genuine, heartfelt affection. It's not what Jesus went for. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This isn't just Jesus and Peter. This is all relationships. This, This is how relationships function. Right, if we move outside the Bible, let me just appeal to your common sense. All right, your, your common sense, um, come let us reason together here, okay? Think about relationships, all right? Think about a brother and sister. Little kids, brother and sister. I'm an only child. I can't speak from experience, but I think this is how it works, right? Those of you who have kids, I, I have two boys. They never fought. God has blessed us. It's amazing. I know you're like, what in the world? You know, uh, but it's true. It's true. But I'm told, like, in the backseat of the car, brother and sister back there, brother licks his finger and sticks it in his sister's ear, right? And she says, stop it. Okay, a request has been made. That, that brother now has a choice, right? He can obey that request or he can disregard it. And if he disregards it and he continues to lick his finger and stick it in his sister's ear, is he loving his sister? He is not. Very simple. Husbands and wives. Just this week, I had a guy say to me, he said, when he first got married, his wife said to him, you know, you're kind of sarcastic and I really don't like it. I'd like the sarcasm to go. A request has been made. This husband can dig in his heels and be like, oh, come on. It's a big deal. Lighten up. It's just, it's who I am. It's how God made me. How often, we stick God out front, right? Hide behind him. He made me this way, right? He could do that or he can obey the request. And this guy actually used the word obey. In this regard, he obeyed his wife's request. Let me ask you, why did he do that? Because he loves his wife. This is not complicated. Here at the church, Pastor Mike is my pastor, right? He's my pastor. He's also my friend. He called me just this morning, see how I was doing, seeing if I was ready. He's in Ohio right now. He's just calling to check up on me. Had a bunch of things happen this week. There were some challenges, but... God saw me through it, right? Trusting God. I was thinking that as we were singing the song, right? I was trusting God all the way. But I love Pastor Mike. He calls me up. You know, he's sort of a father figure in my life. Uh, he probably doesn't appreciate that because we're only separated by like nine years. Um, he had me when he was nine, you know. <laughs> but he, he's, my, he's my pastor. He... <laughs> I know, let me recover from that. I need a drink of water. Some of the things that come out of my mouth sometimes. 
Let me make the point here. Pastor Mike is my pastor, right? He's my friend. He's my brother in the Lord. But make no mistake about it. He's my boss. He's my boss. I'm under his authority. And he wants things done a certain way. I'll give you an example. And I don't think I'm revealing any top secret living water information. I mean, he's, he said way more revealing things than, from up here than what I'm about to tell you. But he, um, he doesn't like uh, handwritten notes around the church. Right? If, you, if you're going to stage some food in the kitchen and you don't want somebody to eat it because it's for a marriage event on Friday night, uh, you know, you put a note on it, like, hands off, right? Don't do what I did. Like, when I first started working here, I took, like, a paper towel and a Sharpie, and hands off, you know, a big handprint or something. No, he, he doesn't want us to handwrite those notes, right? He wants them typed up. And, and everyone on staff knows this, right? This is his thing. And you might be inclined, think with me here now, you might be inclined to think, well, yeah, that's, that's a good practice. That looks more professional. But here's what I would say. That's irrelevant. Whether, whether we as a staff think this is good practice or not is completely irrelevant, what we think about it. You could say he's earned the right to make that demand. And he has. Even if he wasn't the lead pastor here, which he is, even if he didn't plant this church, which he did, even if he didn't have the ability to can my sorry butt for insubordination, which he does, or even if I think it's good to, hand, to, to, to type out a note rather than handwriting, all of that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Why? If I say I love him, I'm going to go into that office over there, I'm going to fire up my computer, I'm going to bring up Microsoft Word, I'm going to type up my little note, right? I'm going to print it out. I'm going to grab some tape, and I'm going to stick it there just the way he wants it done. Even if he said, Mike, I want you to, to, to print it out in uh, Comic Sans font, size 20, typeset bold, left aligned on the margin, and uh, do it in fluorescent green. I'm going to do it. I might have a few questions, but <laughs> I'm going to do that. Why? Because I love him. Think about it. What if I said, well, I'm going to do that because I don't want to lose my job. Who's that about? Me. That's not loving him. Well, I guess I got to do it. Say I don't agree with it. Say it's, hey, it takes time to go print that out. I'm just going to write it. It's efficiency, baby. Let's get things done. And I, and I, want, and I, and I insist on doing it my own way, right? But I, but I begrudgingly do it because I don't want to get fired. That, that, you're missing the whole point. I do it because I love him. I say I love him, therefore I obey. This is how relationships work. This is not complicated. It's not hard to understand. Let's get some help from Charles Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon. He gives this great quote. He says, love is a practical thing. Love without obedience is a mere pretense, meaning it's like a, a sham or a hoax. True love shows itself by seeking to please the one who is loved. This is very fitting right after Valentine's Day. It's running through my mind. Just hearts, you know, pink hearts. And, you know, I remember in school getting those conversation hearts, you know, those candies. I love you. I'm like, I don't even know you. What do you mean you love me? What does that mean? We're in third grade. What is that? 
But this is, this is not complex. It's not hard to understand, but it's kind of one of those easier said than done sort of affairs, right? So, you know, how do we go about that? How do we accomplish this? Because th that's really the question. I, I think everybody in here is like, yeah, you know what? I, I love Jesus. He says, if I love him, I'll obey him. I want to obey him. I, I hope, is that your heart? You want to obey Jesus, right? Some heads nodding. Yes? Okay. Just want to make sure I know my audience here. I want to obey him. I want to obey him. Problem is, Mike Bongo gets in the way. That guy. So how do we do it? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the one-two punch. Right? This is not going to blow anybody's minds because this is like the admonition for every sermon. So it's, it's this. How do we do it? We do it by looking to Jesus and being led by the Spirit. Oh, your mind is blown, right? Like, wow, Mike, how long did it take to come up with that, right? It's, that's the formula. Jesus is our model. He's our example, right? He said in, in uh, John 13, he says, I, gave you, I give you an example to, to follow. He models it for us. It's, he sets the pattern. And there was never a single time in the life of Christ, in the some 33 years where he walked this planet, where he did not obey and abide in the Father. That is truly amazing. None of us can claim that. He can. So why did he do it? Let's get to the motivation. What motivated him to obey the Father in that manner? Well, let's hear it straight from his lips. It's the last verse in our chapter in John 14. Verse 31, Jesus says, but I do, sounds like action, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. See that? Obedience and love linked together within the Godhead. Right there. And Jesus' obedience, where is it best seen? I think it's at the cross. He, he was obedient to the point of death. That was the Father's plan, to send Jesus to live a perfect life under the law, to, to get beaten and whipped and spat upon and hung up on a cross to die and actually die for people like you and me and rise from the grave. He took the punishment that we deserve. That was the plan. And we can be set free from the law and its righteous demands. Why? Because Jesus loves the Father, ultimately. Right? His obedience to the Father, he fulfills the demands of the law on our behalf. Do you see how this stuff plays out even in the Godhead and the gospel? Love and obedience are two things just inextricably linked together. You can't avoid it. So if Jesus can humble himself and he could submit to and obey the will of another, namely his father, why can't we? Why can't we? Well, the answer is found in our text. John 14. We read verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But Jesus has more to say. What does he say? And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. We need help, y'all to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, we find keeping Jesus' commandments very difficult because we're either lacking the Holy Spirit or we're not being led by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the two. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy at all. I'm saying we can't do this on our own, though. If you try to just, I'm just going to willpower this out, I'm, I'm strong, I can overcome, I'm an overcomer, right? We got these songs, these ridiculous songs about how people are overcome. I can handle anything that comes my way. Not this, you can't. Have you tried? I Take it from somebody who's tried. I'm just going to white knuckle this out, I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to get through it. I'm going to obey. Yeah, I know how that works out in, in my life right? Because I'm not being led by the Spirit. So we have help if we belong to Jesus. That indwelling Spirit within us, that he's, he's, He brings conviction, right? He enables us, He empowers us, He guides us, and He leads us. It's Him. Jesus rightly said it's a he. he, is a He, not an it. He is the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like to be led by Him? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. We, we often think the Spirit, you know, he's kind of this mysterious member of the Trinity. Can't really figure him out, right? He, he speaks in code, and I can't decipher what he's trying to communicate. So, you know, he, he, he operates with nudges and hints and whispers, and I got to try to decode what he's trying to say. That's not how the Spirit functions. At least not when it comes to being led by him. That phrase, led by the Spirit, appears only twice in the epistles. I want to look at both of them. Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Because this is so important. This is our power source. we got to understand biblically what's going on when we say we're led by the Spirit. The context in Romans 8 and Galatians 5 is the same. It's all about killing sin. That's the context, and that's going to be very important. Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That's disobedience. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's a parallel there. To, to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, Paul's drawing a, a clear line there. That's the same as being led by the Spirit. It, these are in perfect parallel. They mean the same thing. So where does the Spirit lead you? He leads you into battle against your flesh. That's where he leads you, at least according to Romans 8. Let's look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. More disobedience. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we'll deal with that being under the law in a minute. But Galatians 5 is that, that great flesh versus spirit battle that exists 
inside every true believer in Jesus. Do you have a battle going on within you? I hope you do. It's a great sign that you're saved, that you're, you're warring against the fleshly desires. He calls them the works of the flesh here in this, in this chapter, Galatians 5. There needs to be a battle going on. If we're just la, 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 walking through this Christian life, just you might be on the broad road. Again, I, I love you enough to tell you that. I mean, I, I'm having ethical quandaries all the time. Why? Because there's certain things I want. I want my will, but then I'm trying to obey the will of another. Who's going to win, right? This is the tension. This is the battle. This is what Galatians 5 is all about. So how do we win the battle? Again, we want to win the battle, right? We want to win. Paul's answer, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, the parallel statement here, walking by the Spirit equals being led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads you into battle of killing sin, steady killing the old man, the rebellious part of us that is still yet to be redeemed, that clings upon ourselves, that wants his own way when we've been bought by another. And we should submit to him and not obey the old man within. In exchange, we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. That's the chapter where we get the fruit of the Spirit. First on the list, love. Love. As we kill the old man, we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. More and more. Increasing measure. Nobody does it perfect. Please don't mishear me. All right? But this is, this is, the, this is the goal. This is what we're striving for. Conformity to the image of Christ. I want my life to look like Jesus' life. I, I don't look anything like him, but that's where I'm going. That's my destination. That's where I want to get to. And, and I'm going to fight for it. There's a fight. That's why someone who is led by the Spirit is not under the law. They've been set free from the law, meaning the guilt and the punishment associated with the law. Right? That's, that's what the law brings, condemnation. But in Christ, we've been set free. And if we're free, we're free indeed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? That's my question to you. But the law has its place. Martin Luther, he gave three reasons for the law. I'll just focus in on the third one. He said it's a helpful guide. It helps guide us, for one, so that we might know how we might best love our Savior. To know what he commands. It guides us through this life. I'm making a decision. Should I do what I want to do? Now let me do what Jesus wants me to do. You got to be familiar with the word too, by the way. Let me just toss that in. You got to know what he wants. Right? But then we can love him by keeping his commandments. That's what he said. So we're not under law. We're under grace because we're fulfilling the law of God as we, as we love God and we love others. Right? And Jesus indicated there's no other commandment greater than these. Let me give you a final thought. Earlier this week, we had a meeting here at the church. We're planning ahead for um, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So what would the services look like? And I don't know, it was maybe like five of us in this meeting. And we were talking about, you know, the crucifixion and we're talking about the Passion of the Christ movie. 
and uh, Evan pulled it up on his laptop. We put it up on the screen, and you know, prior to doing that, you know, we, we have meetings. We, we cut up. We have a good time. There's laughter, and we kind of, you know, it's fun to work here, if I could say that. Um, but soon as this movie hit the screen, the atmosphere in the room changed. I mean, there, I, I, I looked around, and some of us were kind of like rubbing our brow, not like watching it. We went right to the crucifixion scene. I had that, that lump in my throat, you know, made it hard to swallow, right? And we, we, were, we, were, we were shook. We were shook. If you haven't seen that movie or if you haven't seen it in a while, I was thinking, I ought to, it's streaming, I'm sure, in a thousand places. I think I have it on DVD. You know, I, this Lent season, maybe we, we pop that in. But as we were, we were watching that, and it came to mind as I was writing the sermon, I was like, given what he went through, the innocent one, truly innocent. Like we, we say kids are innocent. Eh, no, not really. Original sin is alive and well. He's, he's, he's truly innocent. And he treated him that way? And he did that out of love for me? For me. I mean, I know he died for everyone who would ever come to believe in him. He died for the many, as Scripture says, right? Yes, he died for multitudes of people, but personally, he died. He did that for me. <laughs> you too. Yeah. Amen. You t- and, it, and it just, and I was like, and I'm going to be flippant about how I live my life. Yeah, yeah, you know, I sinned. All right, big whoop. Well, it's covered by the blood. Jesus paid for that. Yeah, you're going to be casual, Mike? Really? And you got, you just, that was a, that was a splash of cold water to the face. It was very sobering. And, and, and I, I think we need that. We need a sobering word every now and then. So I pray that Living Water Community Church, we will honor him. But more than that, we will obey him. Why? Because he loves us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word, as challenging as it may be. Lord, I love you. And I know there's people in this room, we love you. We, we can say that and we can mean it. But let our lives support it. Let our lives show it. It should be evident. It should be something people can look and say, you know, that person, they love Jesus. How do you know? Well, that's the things they say, the things they do, the things they don't say, the things they don't do. Lord, I want that to be true in my life. I want that true of Living Water Community Church, that we would demonstrate our love to you by obeying your commandments. And they're not burdensome. And they're what's best for us. It's what's best for us. Thank you, Lord, for providing the example. We can open up the Bible. We can, we can read about how you, Lord Jesus, We're we're tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Lord, thank you for the model. Thank you for the example and the pattern you sent for us. And also thank you for the spirit that comes and indwells each and every true believer to guide us, to lead us into that battle. Not that we would earn anything with you, not that we would get ourselves saved, or that we would even keep ourselves saved but it would be a demonstration 
of our love for you because you loved us first. Lord, in this offering that we are about to collect, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to use some of your resources. Let this giving time be an expression of our love for you. Let it be a demonstration. And these resources go to the furthering of your kingdom, the furthering of your gospel, so more and more people might meet your son, Jesus. That's our prayer. We pray that in his name. Amen.